Amen. If you brought a Bible, go please to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 46 this morning. The Gospel of Mark is the second book in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, we will have the text here on the screen. You can read along with us, or you can find it on your digital device there. Praise the Lord. In a few days, in a couple of weeks really, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a couple of Sundays uh, will be uh, what is called Easter Sunday, but really it's Resurrection Sunday and we will be celebrating uh, the uh, Holy Week as a church. I'll announce a little bit more about that. But I want to turn our hearts and our minds to that moment in history that changed history. Today we read from a little scene on the road that Jesus took on his way to Jerusalem. It reads, Mark chapter 10, verse 46, Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he's calling for you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do to you or for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. So Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the road. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is able to divide between the soul and the spirit. That means that you can speak to the very most deep recesses of our heart. And we ask this morning that you would do that by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God and anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word with gladness. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. As we turn our eyes to the and our minds to the celebration of the Passover and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bring your attention to a scene that begins to set the scene for what is about to transpire within a few days of the verses that we have just read. Jesus will be in the grave. The scene that we've re read about this morning with Bartimaeus, the blind man, occurs within maybe nine or ten days prior to the cross. It's just the week before the death of Jesus. And we read in the verses that precede the text that 
There is a, a lot on the mind of Christ. There's a lot on the mind of the disciples. If you read verse 32 of the chapter, you find that Jesus is thinking a lot about the cross. And the Bible tells us that when the time came near for him to be offered up, that his attention was set toward Jerusalem, no one could distract him from his purpose. Because you see, Jesus came with a singular mission. While he was on the earth, he healed the sick. But that was not his primary mission. He, he raised the dead. That was not his primary mission. He came with a singular mission of dying on the cross. A sacrifice had to be offered for the sins of man. And as a result, there needed to be a Savior for man. And Jesus would be that Savior. And so he set his mind to Calvary. He set his mind to the cross. This was difficult for the disciples to understand because they followed him believing that he would be the Messiah and he was. But they expected him to lead a revolt against Rome and overthrow the Roman oppression of Israel. But that was not his purpose. Jesus was born to die. He was born to be the Lamb of God slain for the foundation of the world. And so we read that they are walking to Jerusalem. He knows the details of his death with exact precision. He tells them, I'm going to be held in trial before the chief priests of the Jews. I'm going to be turned into the Gentiles for scourging and for, uh, for uh, punishment and for persecution. And they will kill me. And on the third day, I will rise again. And when he reads, he says these things to them, it seems as though it goes over their head. They cannot quite comprehend what is going on. And the Bible gives us some details about Jesus. Now, I don't know how you would feel if you had a week or so to live, but I imagine that you and I can get ourselves into thinking, what would we do with the last seven days of our life? And what would we say and who would we talk to? And I imagine that if we only had a week to live, that we would cut some things out of our life. I imagine that if we had only a few days to live, we might not watch as many TV shows. We may not spend as much time with frivolous, with frivolous things. We might not even catch the game. If it was just down to a few days, where would you focus your attention? The Bible gives us the details of this, and the scripture says that Jesus with the disciples is walking, uh, they are walking toward Jerusalem. This will be his final trip to the city of Jerusalem where he will die. And on the way there, we read these details. First of all, the Bible said that Jesus was going ahead of them. He was leading them to the cross. He was leading them to what ultimately be their own death because not uh, they wouldn't die in Jerusalem that week, but every single one of these men would die as a martyr except for John. And so Jesus was leading them into the life that they were going to live. And he goes on ahead of them. And we read in that simple phrase a great and profound truth that Jesus always leads ahead of his people. I want to tell you this morning that when you are walking through life and you go through the different circumstances and situations of life, that Jesus is walking ahead of you. There is no room that you will ever enter, no darkened situation that you will ever enter into which Jesus has not already gone before you. 
You can go into the room of cancer and Jesus has already been there. You can go into the room of divorce and Jesus has already been there. You can go into the room of the death of a loved one and Jesus has already been there. Can I encourage somebody this morning that you might be going through a crisis but Jesus is in the middle of the storm. He went into it first. He goes ahead of us like a shepherd, he cares for us and he cares for you, but he is in the lead. He is out front. You don't ever have to wonder where Jesus is. He's always out front. He's always preparing the way for his children to walk. And then we read that Jesus not only walked ahead of them, but he walked alone. This was not the usual course of action. It would appear that when Jesus and the disciples walked, um, and they walked everywhere they went because they hadn't invented church vans yet. So they had to walk everywhere they went. And as they went, they walked as a posse. They walked together. But on this occasion, his mind is clouded with the week that is before him. The passion, the cross, the rejection of his father. All of this weighs heavily on Jesus, and we read that he walks alone. He, he reveals to us that he is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And the Jesus that you and I serve, he is not an angel. He is not a, 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 a half-breed of some form. He is completely human, 100% man, and he can sympathize with you. And just as you and I, at times, there come moments when we have to walk alone. Have you ever had a moment like that? When you just had to go for a walk? You just had to get away from the noise? The disciples are nearby, but Jesus is walking alone. And here we see another truth, that Jesus walks alone because you and I will often have to walk alone. But you see, friend, I believe that while he walked alone, he really was not alone because he was talking to the Father. Just as you and I can have this encouragement this morning that even on moments when you can't quite figure it out and you don't know what to do and you've got to find some alone time and you seem to be in a moment where you just need to walk alone, I want to tell you that Jesus is walking there with you, that he is present in that hour of of trouble, that hour of need, when you need wisdom, he is your counselor. He is there to offer the word of advice. I don't know if anyone this morning is dealing with loneliness. Maybe you're in a house that's full of people, but in your heart you're alone. Can I tell you that Jesus is the friend to you? He is the comforter to you, and his presence makes the difference. He walks alone but not alone. The Bible said that the disciples followed behind him and they were afraid. And I want you to notice this picture because uh, he, he notices their fear. They're apprehensive. They're worried. We're going to Jerusalem. Jesus said he's going to die. Some commentators say they really were not afraid for Jesus. They were afraid for themselves. 
Maybe they were thinking we set our whole life on this man and we, 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 we staked it all on him. And now he's going to die. He's telling us he's going to die. And so they are afraid. And Jesus, he pulls them aside and he says, fellows, I'm going to be offered up by the Jews to the Gentiles in Jerusalem. And he doesn't sugarcoat it and he doesn't tell them uh, anything that isn't true. He gives them the plain facts of the matter. I wonder sometimes if American Christians can handle the truth. It's quiet out there this morning. You know, we like to have a very sweet, savory message. But sometimes we just need God to sit us down and tell us the truth. I don't expect too many amens this morning because none of us likes that quite that much. But every once in a while, we just need to get an alone moment with God so that he can speak truth into our life. So that he can challenge the sin that's in our heart. So that he can challenge the attitude that we're walking in. He comes and he tells them, this is what is going to happen. The road ahead of you, boys, it's not going to be easy. I am going to be betrayed. I am going to be offered up. I am going to be spit upon. I am going to be uh, whipped. I am going to be killed. And on the third day, I will rise again. Do you notice, friends, that every time God speaks truth, He also speaks hope. When God speaks truth, even when it hurts, there is a word of hope. The problem is that often we're so perplexed by the trouble we're in, we can't hear or see the hope that God is trying to convey to our hearts. But He says to them, on the third day, I will rise again. Now, see the other scene. You have a blind man named Bartimaeus. The Bible tells us that Bartimaeus, we'll call him Bart maybe this morning for short, but Bart is a blind beggar. That means he's poor and he's blind. I think it'd be bad enough to be blind. I think if I was a rich blind man, at least I could send someone to run my errands. But to be poor and blind is a double curse. This man was poor and he was blind. The reason he was poor was because he was blind. The, the blindness made it impossible to, for him to make a living. It was a situation where he had to depend on the charity of others. And so he is a beggar. And as a beggar he has to, he has to depend on the good, good heartedness of people. But we see in Bartimaeus, the perfect picture of humanity. Because you see, all of us were born under that double curse. All of us were born spiritually blind and spiritually poor. No man, woman ever born was born outside of the spiritual blindness that comes because of sin. And no man or woman ever born was born spiritually in riches. Every man, woman, and child born in sin is born spiritually in poverty. 
The poverty of man's soul is beyond description. The, the, the poverty of man's heart without God is absolutely indescribable. When you think about the poverty of sin, you think about addictions, you think about pornography, you think about a rape, you think about those things that, that are, are, are caused by sin in the lives of people. You think about theft and you think about robbery and you see that there is in man a gross and terrible indebtedness, a poverty of spirit. Only Jesus can raise a man or woman out of that poverty. You can have all the money in the world and yet if you don't have a relationship with God, you're as poor as the next man. And yet you can have no money at all, but if you have a relationship with God, you are as wealthy as the wealthiest person in the world. Because true riches, friend, is knowing God. Come on, somebody. I said true riches is knowing God. The Bible tells us his name was Bartimaeus, and some scholars believe that Bartimaeus, because of the way his name is, is stated, Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, that literally he was not only a man who was blind, but he was a son of a blind man. A triple curse. Because now he was not just blind, not just poor, but he was the son of a blind man, which meant that he was carrying a generational baggage. I think now maybe we can start understanding where Pastor Isaac is going with all of this because you see, all of us are not only spiritually poor without God and we're all spiritually blind without God, but we're also carrying some things around that mama and daddy gave us. Well, not, maybe not your mama and daddy because you guys came up in a perfect world. But there is a truth about this fact that every single one of us is the son of a blind man. We live in a world where we have been given an inheritance of, of, of brokenness and oftentimes there is a need to break some curses that come through your family line. And I thank God today that, that there have been four generations of my family and many of yours that have seen the victory that God can give to an entire family tree. But there are others of you that are still trying to fight your way out of the things that have plagued your family for generations. Bartimaeus was just like that. He was poor and he was, a, he was blind and he was generationally cursed. And so, as was his custom, day by day, they would bring him out to the roadside by Jericho. And the roadside by Jericho was a major highway that went from Jerusalem through Jericho and everybody during this season had to go through Jericho to get up to Jerusalem. And so this was the place to beg. Have you ever felt like a fish in a barrel when you're up at an uh, intersection and there are panhandlers with their sign and their face? And particularly if you have just been paid, you feel that Christian tug. Some of you don't, don't have that, but most of us do. And you think, just turn green, turn green. 
And you're the fourth car back and you see him walking. Then you just turn green. I don't have anything under 50. Bartimaeus was set by the roadside and it was feast time. That means that people were coming to Jerusalem in droves. This was the highlight of the financial season for beggars. This was the time you sit out there and here come all these just men and women coming up to worship at Jerusalem. And if they're just and they're, they're prayerful and they're, they're godly, they're going to have some coin to leave in my cup. And so Bartimaeus is brought out there and he has, he has worked out a, a pattern, a, a routine by which his life can function. There is, there is not a great life, but it's a functional life. And I believe this morning that I'm speaking to some people that like Bartimaeus, you have a functional life. It's not great, but you're getting by. You have just, you have just figured out the system. Just enough, just enough to make it. Just enough to survive. There, there are often times, uh, ways that you and I learn to live with life. Have you ever just had to learn to live with something? You're quiet, but I know I'm talking to you. You had to learn to live with this man. Learn to live with this woman. Learn to live with these kids. You had to learn to live with that boss. There are things we just kind of develop. Patterns and, and formulas to, to just survive. To just make it. There he is. He's not happy about it. In fact, I'm sure he's not happy at all. But he's there. He's making the best of it. And there is now a collision course. Jesus is coming out of the city of Jericho on the same road that Bart is begging on. Except Jesus is not worried about beggars today. Jesus has bigger things on his mind. Jesus is going to be dead in a few days. The disciples don't have any time for this either because they are thinking about the fact that their boss, their, their leader is about to be executed. And so the, the Jesus miracle team is not really uh, signed up for this thing right now. There's really not a whole lot of ministry going on today. We're just trying to get to Jerusalem. But the Bible said that Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by. Can I tell you, friend, that faith comes by hearing? The Bible said that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. There was a day when you heard. You hadn't seen anything yet. You hadn't been to church yet. You hadn't opened a Bible yet. All you did was hear. And that hearing brought faith. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the power of the word of God. You see, when you get into trouble, you need to start listening to the word of God. Don't go and listen to the gossip. Don't go and listen to the, to the, uh, to the news broadcaster. Don't go and listen to the doctor and the lawyer. Go and listen to the word of God because the word of God produces faith. 
The Word of God infuses our heart with faith. That's why it's so important for you and I to be at church on Sunday morning so that we can get into the house of God and be fed on the Word of God because the Word of God nourishes the spirit of man. God knows what you're going to face next week and He serves right here on this pulpit the Word that you're going to need to build the faith that you're going to need to survive the test that you're going to come through. Come on, somebody. The Word of God produces Here's here's the thing about Bartimaeus. He hears. And the moment he hears, he starts praying. Now the Bible said he began to cry out. But really, this is a prayer. He starts to yell. Because he senses that he has an opportunity. But he also senses that Jesus is passing by. That means that the opportunity is passing by. Therefore, he doesn't have a whole lot of time. I don't know if I speak prophetically or not this morning, but I suggest to you that time is passing you by. There is a moment, there is an opportunity for you to call out to God, friend, and it may not be tomorrow. This may be the day you get. This may be the time that you get to hear the voice of God. And so, if I were you, I would do like Bart, and I would start praying. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love that prayer. I love the prayer, first of all, because it suggests that the blind man could see. Did you hear that? I said the blind man could see. You see, physically he was blind, but in his inner man, He had a revelation of Jesus. You see, there there is a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. There is a difference between knowing Jesus from the flannel board in Sunday school and knowing Jesus as the Savior of your life. There is a difference between being told about what God can do and knowing that you know that you know that God can do it. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the man had a revelation. Of Jesus. When somebody tells you something, you tend to forget it. But when you have had a revelation, you can't forget it. Revelation stays with you. Revelation will keep you awake at night. Revelation will make you stir. Revelation will make you pray when you have an understanding of who Jesus is. Oh, friends, some of you need today a revelation of God's love, a revelation of God's grace, a revelation of God's provision, a revelation of God's peace that Jesus alone can bring those things. And when you have seen it for yourself, nobody can talk you out of it. No no liar no devil can talk you out of it you know that you know that you know that it's yours sometimes the devil will come and say well what if what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead and what if God isn't real and what if all of the what if the Bible isn't inspired I just kind of laugh at him and tell him, devil, you showed up too late. I already had a revelation of Jesus I already saw with my heart It's like telling me that you can't fry chicken. I already know. You can't sell me that lie. 
Is there anyone in here this morning that has a revelation of Jesus? I don't mean you're trying Jesus. I don't mean you're checking him out. I don't mean you're going to see if this works. I don't mean you're going through a Jesus phase. I mean you are sold out, committed, absolutely in there, all, all in with Jesus. Come on, if you have a revelation of Jesus, shout praise. When you know him, when you have had an encounter with him, Bartimaeus has an encounter in his spirit before he ever saw the man. He already knew in his spirit. So the prayer also fascinates me because of its brevity. It's a short prayer. When you guys get out of here and go to lunch, you're sitting around the lunch table, you're going to appreciate a short prayer. I appreciate short prayers, too. I mean, if we're going to pray for lunch, don't pray for all the missionaries you know and all the churches in town and, and all the reverends and the doctors. Come on, just say thank you, Jesus. Bart had a short prayer. And, you know, it fascinates me because when I read the Bible, I read long prayers. There's wordy prayers. There's sophisticated prayers. But then there's some old-fashioned human prayers that just say, God, you've got to help me. God, you've got to save me. God, you've got to deliver me. Come on, is there anybody in here who's ever prayed a help me prayer? Anybody in here who ever prayed a have mercy prayer? Lord, have mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, here's the thing that happens. When you begin to pray, the enemy will send voices. You ever heard voices? Okay, we're going to have to talk after church. Those voices come and you start praying about something. You start praying about I'm going to give, I'm going to give more financially than I've ever given before. And the voices start coming. There's going to be a famine in the land. They're laying people off at work. The, the economy's on its way down. Nobody knows what Trump's doing today. You just got to keep it. Don't, don't do any more than that. You start praying about healing and someone comes around and says, my aunt died of that. They told her she had that and two weeks later we were having a funeral. And, and those voices will come to steal your faith. But see, Bartimaeus did not have any time for the voices. I'm talking to some people that you don't have any time this week for the voices. You don't have any time for the naysayers. There's somebody in here that doesn't have any time. You've got to get in the presence of God. You've got to get an answer. You've got to have a miracle. Come on, somebody. Is there anybody in here that needs an intervention from God? I don't have time for you to tell me it can't work. I don't have time for you to tell me how expensive it's going to be. I don't have time for you to tell me how hard it is. I need you to tell me that Jesus can, that Jesus will, that God is able. Come on, I need some voices around me that can encourage my faith. I don't spend time with negative people. Sometimes I have to, but I try not to spend time with negative people. They say, Bartimaeus, keep it down, man. You're scaring away the donors. We, we uh, need you to keep it cool. But he didn't pay any attention. He just kept saying, Jesus, 
son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Here comes Jesus. He's walking ahead. And he's walking alone. But suddenly he hears that somebody has called his name. Now I don't know about you. But I imagine that if you called me the day I knew I was going to. The week I knew I was going to die. I would not answer your phone call. But when Jesus heard Bartimaeus call his name. The Bible said that he stopped. All of a sudden there was a divine interruption. And I want to tell you this morning. That Jesus is passing through Beeville. And he's looking for a church that will call out by faith and say Jesus Jesus have mercy on me and Jesus stopped you see what stops God what gets God's attention is not your need You need to get that in your heart, get that in your faith, get that in your, in your understanding. Need does not stop God. The Bible tells us that faith pleases God. Need doesn't get God's attention, but faith does. Is there any faith in the house this morning? <laughs> Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. He looked his way. He stopped right now and he's looking your way. He says, bring him to me. Now notice the words. The crowd comes up to Bartimaeus and they say three things. Cheer up. Stand up. Jesus is calling. I have a simple word for you this morning. Cheer up. Cheer up. You've been depressed. You've been discouraged. You've been Wondering how you're going to make it. You've been crying over that lost son, that lost daughter. You've been crying over your health. Jesus says to you today, cheer up. Cheer up. Put a smile on your face. Say goodbye to, to depression and discouragement. Cheer up. Joy has come into the house. I said joy has come into the house. I said joy has come into the house. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy has come. And this is the morning. He says, cheer up. Put a smile on your face. Turn to your neighbor and just tell him, cheer up. Smile at somebody. I mean a real smile. The kind of smile you get when your boss says he's giving you a raise. The kind, of the kind of smile you get when the doctor says it's not cancer. The kind of smile you get when God shows up in your life. Cheer up, somebody. Cheer up. Cheer up. Joy has come into the house. Joy has come into the house. It's party time at Kingsway Church because Jesus is in the house. 
be of good cheer. Now here's the beauty of it. He's still blind. It's harder to cheer up when you can't see what everybody else sees. He didn't see Jesus calling him. He didn't see what was going on. He just had to trust the, mo- the message. You don't see what's coming this week, but you've got to trust the message. Cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up. There's joy. There's joy. There's joy in Jesus. Cheer up. Stand up. But this is my beggar's pose. I, read, I heard about a man, he, he got called out in the service. The, the prophet said, come here, God wants to heal you. And the man said, he said, pastor, if the Lord heals me, they'll take away my check. You see, some of you, it's not your check you're worried about losing. But you've gotten so accustomed to the junk you live with. You've gotten so accustomed to the patterns that you know. When you get lonely, you call up an old girlfriend. You go somewhere online. You go find... A bookie or a dealer. But Jesus says, stand up. I want you out of that. He said, I want you out of that. Cheer up. And you've got to stand up. You've got to change your posture. You see, you can't get healed while hanging out in the mess. You can't get whole while you're still hanging out with the garbage. Jesus wants to bring you up and to bring you out. He wants to bring you into freedom. He wants to bring you into wholeness. I'm looking at some people today who are free. You're living in victory because Jesus stood you up. I said Jesus stood you up. He brought you out of dub, out of darkness. He set your feet upon the rock. He gave you a firm foundation. Come on, Kingsway. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Jesus found you in trouble and he stood you up. Cheer up. Stand up. Jesus is called. Jesus has your number. That church is scary. I thought the pastor was preaching directly at me. I had to avoid eye contact. I think Pastor Isaac was hanging out where I was hanging out the other day. I don't know where you've been. And I don't know what you've done. But Jesus does. 
And the Holy Spirit's got your number this morning. And he knows how to reach you. And he knows how to tell you, look, I want to bring you out. I want to bring you into freedom. And I'm going to do it today if you will surrender your life to me. Jesus is calling. Now here's the thing. Jesus had time for Bartimaeus on the road to the cross. That blesses my soul. Because if Jesus had time for a blind man on the, on the road to the cross, I have to believe that he has time for me today. Because today he's sitting in glory. Today he's surrounded by the throne, at the throne by angels who declare, Holy, holy is the Lord. And if he had time for Bartimaeus on the road to the cross, he's got time for you this morning. Now here's what Bartimaeus did. The Bible said that he was wearing a beggar's coat. And when he got up, he took off the coat. See, because up until that point, that coat had been his identity. The beggar. I don't know what your coat is this morning. I don't know what your identity has been. I don't know what people think about you. I don't know the names and the labels you put on yourself. Maybe you've identified yourself as worthless, unlovable, unforgivable, unsavable. Maybe you have defined your marriage as lost, your family as ruined. You've taken on the identity of your circumstances. But God tells you today, you are not your circumstances. You may have done drugs, but you're not an addict. You may have lost your purity sexually, but you are not the names that the world gives you. You may have been broken, but you are not broken. You may have been in a helpless situation, but you are not helpless. You may have been in a hopeless situation, but you are not hopeless. And today, Jesus says, I'm calling you. And he's looking for you to do what the book of Hebrews says. It says to lay aside every entanglement that so easily besets you. Because as long as you're wearing this identity, you cannot take on the identity that Christ has for you. Because in Christ, there are no beggars. In Christ, there are no beggars. I said in Christ, there are no beggars. In Jesus, in Jesus, there are only sons and daughters. In Jesus, you are an heir and a joint heir. Hallelujah. Come on. He took off that coat.
I'm waiting this morning and I'm waiting this year to see you bring your coat, your identity to this altar. I'm waiting for you to bring, to bring in your, your past and to lay it at this altar. I'm waiting for you to bring in the things that used to associate with your old life and say, I am not a beggar anymore. I am a child of the living God. Come on, somebody. He laid it down. And... Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do? He said, I want to receive my sight. I want to see. The Lord said, go. Your faith, not your money, not your wisdom, not your education, not your power. But your faith has made you whole. And immediately he received his sight. And what did he do? He followed Jesus in the way. Cheer up. Stand up. Jesus is calling. Cheer up. Stand up. Jesus is calling. Cheer up. Stand up. Jesus is calling. Right there where you're sitting, would you bow your heads? And if you know... You know in your heart there's a prayer coming out of your spirit like Bartimaeus. And you're crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Receive the joy of God and get up out of your chair and just come into this altar. If you know that's you, God is telling you, get up. You don't have to stay here. It's going to take a step of faith. You're going to have to stand up. But right now, if you're ready to let some things go and to move on with Jesus, I want you to get out of, the, out of that chair and come. Come on. Jesus is calling. The thing that's normal doesn't have to be normal. Come on, as you come, just lift your voice. Make your prayer known to God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You might have to push against the voice that says, I've already been to the altar.
I've already tried this thing. Today, Jesus is calling. He's saying it's your day for deliverance. Father, in the name of Jesus, we, your people, come into this house right now. We come in the confidence, oh God, that you hear us when we pray. And as your children come into this altar this morning, I pray that there would be a rising of faith in their hearts. Rising of faith in their hearts that the word would produce faith, would bring that kind of faith that saves, that kind of faith that delivers, that kind of faith that shatters every chain, that moves the walls of depression and discouragement and fear, and that allows them to enter into the full access of the believer. Right now in Jesus' name we receive that. Come on, just begin to pray. Begin to pray out of your spirit. Congregation, would you stand, please? Just begin to worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Elders, would you help me pray for these who are here? Blessed be your name, Jesus. Call on Jesus. Call on Jesus this morning. 